What's up, Zach Oates here, author, entrepreneur, and customer relationship guru. Welcome to Give an Ovation, growth strategies for restaurants and retailers, where we find industry leaders to share their secrets to grow your business. This podcast is sponsored by Ovation, the actionable guest feedback tool that works on or off premise and is easy, real time, and actually drives revenue. Learn more at OvationUp.com. Welcome to another edition of Give an Ovation. I am joined today by the off-prem guru himself, Dustin Maris. He's the co-founder of Meal Outpost, a food and beverage licensing platform. Now, before that, he was director of Kitchen United. Before that, he was at Yelp. He's done some incredible things. All around amazing guy, hustler. Uh, Dustin, thank you for joining us and Give an Ovation, my man. Hey, thanks, Zach. Thanks for having me. Uh, we've been trying to do this for a while, so I'm pumped. Yeah, so first of all, tell me a little bit about Meal Outpost. Yeah, absolutely. So Meal Outpost is a food and beverage licensing platform that provides provides growth brands seamless, efficient, and transparent way to connect and integrate with host restaurants. Uh, so host restaurants really take the keys. Uh, they're able to onboard themselves. They're able to reserve the brand that really fits uh, with their needs. Uh, and so once they go find the brand that they want to pull in, uh, and they go and reserve a license. Uh, the licensor then gets to see really who you are as a host. Um, and once they approve uh, the host, then host is onboarded and, and you're off and running. So this is like, so if I'm I'm a restaurant, I've got five locations and I'm like, you know, I want to do some, I want to do some more off-prem. I want to yeah. do some more virtual. Yeah. I go on to Meal Outpost and you have like a menu of of brands right yeah we wanted to really uh mimic airbnb as much as possible from a transparency transparency standpoint so when you go on uh you type in where you're located right so i'm in illinois uh so i type in illinois so i can search by where licenses within my state i can search by uh matching my equipment i can search by cuisine type Uh, So we've kind of created a few different ways that one can go about finding the right fit for their kitchen. Um, But again, it's really, it's really up to them. We, we give them the keys to do that and then really dive into uh, whether that may or may not be the best fit for them uh, once uh, the onboarding begins. So, yeah. Got it. And what types of brands do you have on there? Is it like, you know, your own brands? Is this like McDonald's? Like what what kind of brands do you have? (laughs) Um, so for us, we really saw the opportunity to uh, partner with established brands. Um, we saw, uh, you know, growth brands, they really want guests to engage with them, uh, who they are, uh, you know, smell their, smell their food when they're walking in. Uh, what, what is their brand about, right? And, you know, much like franchising has been around forever, let's lean into that transparency and let's scale with real brands that, um, you know, have been in business for five, 10 years, and they, they're already proven off-premise concepts, um, you know, let, let's lean into that transparency that there's a founder story. Uh, they, they struggle through the pandemic, just like most of these operators. So um, a, a, again, leaning into the transparency as much as possible uh, in, in uh, utilizing and leveraging that brand equity that's already been built. Yeah. Well, I think that that's brilliant. I think that makes a lot of sense. And and taking a step back with ghost kitchens, yeah. what do you think is one of the biggest mistakes that restaurants make with ghost kitchens? Um, I think 
you know, early on at Kitchen United, we saw a lot of uh, restaurant groups just very eager to uh, jump into a new market, right? It's a great way, low cost way to get into a new market. And I think uh, certain brands can, of course, make that happen, uh, depending on the, the capital, how much lit, like team they're able to, to deploy on doing that. But for the majority, it's just not, it, it's not feasible to be able to go into a new market. Um, there's too much marketing costs associated with that. Um, and, and so really early on at KU, we uh, very quickly saw how that could affect someone. And so we did a really good job at being able to, to talk people down from doing that. Of course, you know, at the end of the day, people are going to do what they want. But uh, I think that's one of the biggest mistakes is, is going into a new market without, um, you know, without being properly equipped to do so. Got it. So if I have a restaurant and I want to, you know, expand my footprint without necessarily, you know, opening of a, of a new brick and mortar location, um, you're saying go right outside of my current zone as opposed to going to a new city. Like, should I should I partner with um, a, a group like KU, or is it better to find someone and use their kitchen? Is it better to make the stuff and then sell it at a different location? Like, what what do you think I should do if I'm looking to expand my brand? And, and yeah, I don't I think, do a brick I think and again, there's 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 uh, you know, nothing short of of uh, tons of options, right? So so you can you can choose from you know whatever is going to make sense for you and your your brand and your operations. I think ghost kitchens are great growth vehicles for brands that have proven themselves to be off premise, uh, you know, successful brands. Um, if you're, uh, you know, your grandma said you can make cookies and you want to go launch uh, Betty's cookies, you might stick to that commissary model early on just because of the economics of, of a ghost kitchen, um, you know, it, it can be um, a, a little tougher for you to, to get over that fence, if you will. Um, I think with what we're doing, we really give the keys to the, both the hosts, right. And choosing who's the best fit for their uh, kitchens, but also on the licensor side, we let them define their terms of growth, right? So uh, do they own a part of their uh, supply chain where, you know, maybe a product is co-packed. So from a, a supply standpoint, it's a little easier for them to scale outside of uh, their core demographic where maybe their, their restaurants are at. Right. And so mm -hmm. really what we've seen so far pretty early on, but um, for the most part, our brands want to stick pretty close to their region, right? Because there's just more leverage all around for everyone to win. To, to, to utilize that brand equity that's already been built up. Yeah. Now, when do you partner with others and when do you build your own brand? That's a good question. You know, as of right now, we do not want to build any of our own brands. Um, from a third party perspective, we could probably spend a lot of time talking about margins and, and, and that whole world. But for us, um, we want to stick to uh, utilizing and partnering with uh, great brands that have uh, you know, th they're already established brands. Um, that's not to say that we won't work with, uh, you know, brands that are tried and true virtual brands. I think there's a lot of great virtual brands out there that have proven themselves to be successful. And so we, um, you know, we're, I'm, I'm not going to say no to that type of opportunity to partner with, with those great brands as well. Um, but so far, 
our brands that we're partnered with that you can license on on uh, the marketplace, it, they're all real brands. So, Awesome. I think that makes a lot of sense because especially as you're starting off, if you don't have experience with doing virtual brands or ghost kitchens, man, like partner with people who do it. You know what I mean? Like yeah. that's something that I've seen over and over again is people that try to launch their own without knowing the fundamentals of doing it. And like, why not partner with someone? And then if you want to build your own brand alongside them, then like, great. But just at least for the first one, yeah. uh, partner with someone and try to open up another day part, try to tap into another vertical, a, another demographic. Because I, Dustin, I was talking with someone at a very large, I can't, I can't say who, but a very large publicly traded restaurant and a group. And one of the things that he told me was that when they launched their virtual brands, because uh, they were really going after a different demographic. They actually did not see any cannibalization. Yeah. They were, there was incremental increase of people who were ordering it from, you know, their normal dine-in customers. But when they did off-prem, it, it was tapping into a new market. It wasn't eating up their existing market. I think that's part of the power of this is you're, you're not selling you don't want to sell the same food to the same people. Just do it off-prem. Do that through your own online ordering. With right. a virtual brand, it gives you an opportunity to expand your reach, which is which is super exciting. Yeah, and to your point, they're a publicly traded company. They have the capabilities and capacity to know those things and, and to understand effectively how to do so. I think we're really focused on partnering with the the small mom and pop one to one to three one to five one to fifty unit operator you know all uh, eventually but uh, there's a part of that market that is um, I think very uh, underutilized from a hey we want to partner and really focus on helping these these small businesses and and it's so fascinating like I'll have a call with you know, a two location operator who they're running 15 brands in their kitchen. And it just blows my mind that, you know, they put these, these, these brands together themselves. So I, like, I think that, you know, anyone can go and build a virtual brand, but the, you know, the, what goes into making sure that you're successful, um, sometimes you got to call a spade a spade at the end of the day, if you've been a one location operator for 10 years, you know, I'm not saying your incentive is to, and your motivation is to grow and grow, but there's probably a couple of things that you you need help getting to that second location or that fourth location. And I think really for us, what we're seeing is there's so much of a need to to help uh, the the small one two location uh, operators understand how to effectively roll out a virtual brand. Totally, and I think it's it's really important to understand like it's okay that. Not everybody does everything great. Right. And that's why, you know, we bring on partners and, and why we bring on employees because we can't do everything ourselves. And I think understanding that is, is a good thing and realizing that, hey, with something like this, if I have had a one location brand for the last 10 years, I probably don't have the skill set to go and, and develop my entire virtual, uh, a new virtual brand. And that's okay. Right. Yeah. You don't you don't need to, but you can make money along the way and, you know, pay a small fee called commission. And uh, that's your tuition to learning how to do it. 100%. And, and that's the thing is that in the restaurant space, a bunch of hustlers, we're a bunch of 
people who get out there and like, you know, get things done. Um, but just as we all learned how to cook somewhere, it's like, this is the exact same thing. We could learn how to go and do this virtual brand. And I yeah. think that's the, now, now one thing I do want to ask Dustin, yeah. is, what, what is the future of virtual? Because I know there's a lot of skepticism around what it is. People say there was a big boom and, and you know, we'll see how it kind of plays out. Now, I'm not thinking this is going to be like a, a Twitter FTX or Theranos kind of oh debacle. But, but what is the future of virtual? Is this something that's going to really stay around? And obviously, yeah. you're incentivized to say yes. But like, tell me, what, is, what does virtual look like in the future? Yeah, I think it's a great question, right? We're so early on in space and the numbers and reports just keep getting astronomical and blown out of like proportion in my eyes. But from, from where I sit, the, the eagerness and willingness and excitement when I talk to a one to five location owner in, in our largest restaurant partner has 170 locations. So, um, you know, of, of course we're working only a fraction of those, but they're, they're, they see the positivity to it. They understand what it can do for their restaurants and their businesses. It can help drive same store sales. Uh, it, it can help their franchisees who may be underperforming. Uh, and so virtual brands and, and um, you know, whatever you want to call them, they're going to be here. To, they're here to stay. Um, they're not going away. I, I think it's going to only incrementally grow and grow and grow. Um, I was just recently in Miami and I was just like in awe, jaw dropped at the amount of individual brick and mortars that just had virtual brand signs up on their windows. You know, it's like they're not even advertising their own brand anymore. It's like, hey, we got them all. Come on, come all. And, and it literally every single block in downtown Miami was they were running virtual brands which was great. I love seeing that, but it was the first time where I was like, wow, this is, this is amazing to see. Yeah. So you were just in Miami. Is that where you found your mustache? Yeah. Something like that. Good. <laughs> um, so what, what is, what is some of the most important aspects of guest experience nowadays? You know what? Um, this is great. I'm reading a book right now called Unreasonable Hospitality by Will Guadara. He is a co-owner of 11 Madison Park. Uh, grew up under Danny Meyer in Union Square uh, and ran, uh, ran 11 Madison Park for, uh, you know, brought it into who they are today. One of the uh, sayings that he has is that service is black and white and hospitality is color. Uh, and so when I interpret that, I, I think uh, that you have to understand and define what are the table stakes. Um, when you look at it, the past few years through the pandemic, the term digital hospitality has really come to be defined as meeting the customer where they are, right? And so I think that's the table stakes today is it's, pr it's pretty black and white. You have to be able to meet your customer where they are. Now, how, how you begin doing this, I think you first have to segment out and dial into really who your customer is get an understanding of their attributes and behaviors. Then you can whip out the, the, the box of 72 crayons and, and go to town on your campus. Like there is a never ending, um, you know, colors to choose from in this industry. But I think you have to understand really what is black and white? What are those table stakes? Understand uh, what defines your customers and then go from there. 
Love that. Uh, just put that book in my cart. I'm excited, yeah. excited to read that one. Yeah, um, I get to hear him talk in a couple of weeks. So I, I wanted to obviously do my homework beforehand. <laughs> yeah, no, that's awesome. I think that makes that makes total sense. And I think that the whole surprising delight, really what that is nowadays is being human. Yeah. Is, is showing them that you care. You show a guest that you care and you will be shocked at how surprised they are. Yeah. And, and because at the end of the day, there's one human universal human desire and that's the desire to feel important. That's what hospitality is about. That's why when, when you come over to someone's house and they're being like, Oh, you're being so hospitable. What are they saying? What are you doing? You're like, okay, you're, you're bringing them the dish. Can I get you a drink? And why? Because when you're serving someone, they feel important when you're saying, what, how was everything? They feel important. When you're responding and fixing an issue, they feel important. When you forget an item in the order, when you yeah. forget the fries, when it's cold, when it's messy, they feel unimportant. And yeah. I think that's the whole um, that's the whole concept of what we're really looking at here and what is hospitality and, and how does that work today and how does it work in a virtual brand? Right. I think you really need to think about that and think about what is hospitality across all channels? And you can't treat someone on Facebook, a dine-in, to-go, DoorDash, calling in, you know, chatting in. You can't treat those six customers in six different ways. Right. And so what, did, what does hospitality mean today for you? And how do you find people to help you uh, get there? I think that's that's a really interesting concept and one that's been rattling around in my head. I'm excited to read this book. Thanks for sharing that one. It's crazy. Like there's a, I, I think I laughed and choked in the first choked up in the first like three chapters of the book. So it's like, it's amazing. There's some really, really funny stories that you would never think that, uh, you know, number one restaurant in the world for a few years would do some of the crazy things uh, that, that they pulled off at, at, at 11 Madison park. Awesome. So speaking of, uh, any other like tactics like this? What are some other ideas? Anything else that you'd recommend? Uh, any other tactics that you've seen or heard that are uh, working pretty well? Yeah. You know, I, I think I was trying to think about my personal, like when I go out to eat or when I'm ordering, just, you know, if I've seen anything really cool lately. And I think someone mentioned it. I was listening to one of the podcasts uh, and someone was talking about just upping the Q, your QR game. I thought that was really cool. I am starting to see some pretty cool uh, QR experiences happening inside of restaurants here in Chicago. Um, like, like what have you seen? Um, so just like larger, uh, just not tiny little QRs, but things that are like open out in your face when you walk in the door and mm -hmm. you're not really looking for it, but it's hitting you right in the face. Um, and, and so I think there's a couple cool places where it's just showing up. I went to this place recently that had an AI QR code when you walk in on the ground. So it was like, everyone of course is taking their phone out immediately when they walk through the door and that's how you're getting, you know, you're getting your table menu, whatever it is. So that's cool. Um, and who's someone that deserves a, an ovation in the restaurant industry? Who's doing cool things? Someone that we should oh, love. Yeah, there's way too many cool people doing cool shit in, in, in the industry, right? So I'm going to, I have a few here. Uh, obviously, if you're not following Meredith uh, Sandlin and Empower Delivery, you should, should probably start there. Um, 
Next, my my undercover pick is uh, Mike Wallace in Perfect Company. Uh, they have some really sweet products that reduce waste um, and increase speed of service. Um, really cool company. Don't know who they are. Go and follow them. I think my fun follow are these guys. I do not know who they are um, out of New York. They have an app called Aid It, like the number eight and then it. And their slogan is the best way to find food. It literally is the coolest way to search by menu item uh, that I've ever seen. I have a saved list of the coolest looking dishes in th- all throughout New York. It's so long. Um, and are they I, are they only in New York? No, they're they're in uh, they're in a few different cities. Uh, they're uh, I think they're a little newer, but uh, L.A., Chicago. Um, I think I just saw some restaurants starting to pop up in Miami. So they're growing, but super cool way to search. Uh, Interesting. For, uh, all yeah. user generated, which is great. That looks awesome. Yeah. yeah that's the thing. It's like, I want to go to a good, I, I want to go to a good restaurant, but I want to get a good thing at that restaurant. Right. And, and the problem is there have been so many people who have tried to do this before and no one's done it well. Yeah. And so anyway, I'm excited to excited to check this out. Um, yeah. I, gotta, I, think if I, I wasn't gotta... working if I wasn't working on Mo, I'd personally want to work within uh like AI drive through uh segment of, of what we're doing. I think it's there's some really interesting like automation that's uh you know companies are working on in, in the drive through space. Like my eco-friendly call out, I told you I got a lot. Uh my eco-friendly call out is all of the companies that um, are working on agave-based projects. Uh, there's oh. some really cool uh, uh, projects and companies that um, are going to blow up over the next couple of years uh, because of their agave products. Um, and I think last, last but certainly not least, um, my, uh, my dad is celebrating his 30th year uh, in uh, his catering business. So just per- personal shout out to him. Yeah, that's awesome. Way to go, him. Yeah. Uh, and for raising a guy like you, he's got to be, you know, working <laughs> stuff in the kitchen, you know? Yeah, oh, I can only hope he thinks And speaking that. of you, how do people find and follow you and Meal Outpost? Yeah, sure. So uh, website is just mealoutpost.com. Um, you can follow me on LinkedIn, Dustin Maris, um, and then LinkedIn uh, as well, Meal Outpost. And that's M-A-R-E-S. Well, Dustin, for bringing the virtual kitchens to reality, today's ovation goes to you. Thank you for joining us on Give an Ovation. Thanks, Zach. Glad you're with us today, and thank you. Thank you to the risk takers, the troublemakers, the crazies who are keeping this world clothed and fed. You're the ones who deserve an ovation. Again, this podcast was sponsored by Ovation. To see how we can help you grow your business, go to ovationup.com. Don't forget to subscribe. And as always, remember to give someone in your life an ovation today.